This is Scott Richmond, the director for New York and New Jersey for ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, coming to you from the front lines. ADL is on the front line every day fighting anti-Semitism and hate, and this show brings that to you from ADL's headquarters in New York. If there were ever a front line, it is Israel in the wake of the barbaric atrocities committed by the Hamas terrorist group on October 7th. Today, I'm speaking with an Israeli woman who has been deeply impacted by this war, her name is Abby Ahn. She moved to Israel in 2015 from the United States. Welcome, Abby, too, from the front lines. Thank you for having me. Abby, this week, your cousin, Erez Calderon, turned 12. Tell me about Erez. What kind of kid is he, and what does he like to do? Erez is the same age as my own son, Aviv, um, so it hits home even harder. He is full of life. He loves to laugh. He rides horses and mountain bikes. He plays the trumpet. He is the youngest of his four siblings, Gaia, Waltem, Sahar, uh, and then Erez. And he is deeply loved by his parents and his siblings and indeed the whole community of Near Oz, which on October 6th was 400 people. And now we know that one in four has either been murdered or taken hostage. And where do you believe Erez is now? We know he is a confirmed hostage in Gaza. We saw footage of him uploaded by Hamas on October 8th, the day after the war started, with uh, him in their hands. They're kind of dragging him down the street at gunpoint. We believe that it was on the kibbutz. So we have confirmation that he, his sister Sahar and his father Ofer are all there with the other 220-some hostages. Have you seen any footage of them in Gaza? Have you had any contact? No, I don't think many of us are getting uh, real contact. I think in addition to fighting for the release of the hostages, we are certainly asking for the Red Cross that is at the border of Gaza to be let in, to give us signs of life, to bring much needed medical aid. There are, are more than 30 children and babies under the age of 16, including Sahar and Erez. Who are there. There are wounded people. There are elderly people who need medical care. So beyond knowing that they're confirmed, we don't have any information. What would you say to his captors right now, if you could? It's a hard question because I, I don't think I understand the way their minds work, but I know enough about Islam to know that you are not supposed to treat women and children and elderly the way that they are treating my family and the citizens of Israel and more than 30 other countries. And if they believe at all in this faith, then they should do the right thing, which is to bring them back. Tell me about the other two that have been taken hostage. Sahar is 16. She is a beautiful, beautiful girl. She and her older sister, Gaia, who's 21, are best friends. They are both artists. Sahar loves dancing and drawing and photography and dancing and uploading TikToks. She's one year away from graduating high school and instead she's sitting in Gaza somewhere. Their father, Ofer, is 53. He is a carpenter. Um, he is the person that makes everybody laugh just with one-liners and he's deeply devoted to his family. He is also a mountain biker, which is where Ares gets it. Uh, and also their son, Rotem. And this is one of his big passions. At first, you thought that two additional cousins were also alive in Gaza, but then you found out that they were murdered. 
my cousin Carmela. She celebrated her 80th birthday during this nightmare. They did confirm her and her granddaughter Noya as hostages, um, which we know is true. They were not found on the kibbutz. They were found by the Gaza border. We're not sure on which side. Carmela's father moved from the United States in the early 1930s to build a kibbutz in the north, in a Shofet. And Carmela did her service on Near Oz when she was young and met her husband there. And Ina Shofet was the parent kibbutz to Nir Oz. So they had a very, very strong relationship. But she met her husband on Nir Oz and they built their family there. They had three children and 12 grandchildren. And they were, both she and Ori were peace lovers. They, this, the whole idea of the kibbutzim near the Gaza border, these people lived in what was Gan Eden. It was heaven for them. It was beautiful nature and a tight community and people who knew each other intimately. And Carmela was a huge part of that, but she and her husband were the people that brought Palestinians from Gaza to get medical aid in Israel. They didn't hate. They believed that there could be peace. And we lost contact with them on the 7th. She with her daughter, her granddaughter, Noya, were in their bomb shelter. And we were getting messages telling us that they could hear Hamas in the house overturning their belongings and breaking things. And the next messages talked about gunfire. They could hear people being killed. And she kept her spirits up. She kept writing, it's going to be okay. We need to stay strong. But then we lost contact. And now we know that her house had been burned to the ground, which was a tactic used either with a grenade or a, a tire that had been set on fire to get them out of the home. Uh, and they were taken from the kibbutz. And we believe that they were murdered somewhere near the border. It's truly unimaginable. Five members of your family taken hostage or slaughtered. How are you coping with this? It's like I'm saying the words, but I'm not feeling them because if I sit and feel them, then I think I will break. And so I am trying to keep in action mode and just keep doing things at its worst moments. And I think this is the worst I've ever experienced. Uh, family comes together society comes together. We have a deeply strong civil society in Israel. We have neighbors and friends and broader community that are doing everything they can to support us, but also to support bringing the hostages home and also helping the country during what is an unexpected war effort. I am part of a community of Americans that have family members being held hostage. And we've been working together these last 21 days to work with elected officials in the United States. We had the opportunity to meet with Secretary of State Blinken. We had an hour and a half on Zoom with President Biden. We have met 17 senators that have all come to Israel. There's a very coordinated effort from the FBI and Department of State to make sure that we have all the information to make sure that we feel supported. My own senator from Massachusetts, Senator Warren, reached out to me she called to share her condolences and her question was how do i help what do i do and i can tell you as americans we have never felt more proud to be american in this moment that's one side of it the other side is as families we didn't know each other 21 days ago and now we are family we talk to each other every day we share updates, we share uh, media opportunities, we share governmental strategies, we do anything we can to help each and every hostage come home.
I see that you've done many, many interviews. D did you have media experience before? No, I can tell you that my mom always wanted me to be a news anchor. She always thought I should say, and this is Abby Greenberg with your nightly news. And so my, my mother's your site is uh, next week. So I think that I hope she's looking down and is proud. I have spent my career in higher education and nonprofit. And in some way, I know how to speak in front of people, but I, I don't think that I was prepared for this. Tell me a little bit about you then. What's your story? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Virginia. My parents are from Boston and my father was a professor at GW. So that's why we lived there. Virginia at that time was not very Jewish. I think the community has grown significantly since and we faced a great deal of anti-Semitism. And I think the anti-Semitism only strengthened my identity in a sense. It gave me something that I felt more secure than I knew that I could fight against. I have a first degree from George Washington University, which had some unfortunate things happening this week. And I have a master's from Brandeis. And while in my first degree, I studied abroad at Hebrew U, only because I felt like I had been praying in Hebrew my whole life and wanted to know what the modern language was and felt like it was a good opportunity. I spent about eight years, I think, working for Hillel International. I directed their response to Hurricane Katrina and over three years, brought 3,000 students to do rebuilding work there. Only this week, my husband and I thought, wow, that experience probably helped prepare us for this, of being in a disaster zone, of being in a state of urgency all the time, even though these three weeks are worse and more urgent. And my husband was one of the staff that came to help rebuild. He was uh, Israeli on Shlichut, and we met then. Um, and we spent time living in the U.S., and we've been in Israel for almost nine years now. Why did you move to Israel? Two reasons. One, we were living in Boston, and it snowed too much. And my Israeli <laughs> okay. husband thought, this Fair is enough. We were there the, the winter, it snowed 15 feet. And um, because we both had family here, and we felt that this was a better way to raise our children. Uh, we moved here with two children, and we had our third here. You know, I have my extended family here, and he has his immediate family here. And in the last three years, my father, after the loss of my mother, came and he ended up making Aliyah. And he's been living in Israel five minutes from me for the last three years. Tell me, in your view, what makes Israel special? The people. There are people who, in the worst moments, find their superpowers. My hairdresser is traveling all over the country right now to cut their hair. The people that have been through the worst moments in their life, just to give them a moment of peace. There are people who are giving up what they're supposed to be doing for work to chop vegetables and make food for our soldiers and for families who have been displaced. In my regular life, I am the CEO of a nonprofit called Navo that works with Olim, with immigrants in Israel that work in tech. And to a person, every single one of them is doing something, raising money, finding gear, driving it up and down the country, babysitting for, for people whose parents are serving right now. In, in our worst moments, every single person in the country is bringing what they have to the forefront to try to make this better. Tell me about those people. What is the mood in Israel three weeks after the horrific Hamas terrorist attacks? I think every one of us is broken in some way. Every one of us has gone to a funeral, to a shiva. We know people who are serving in the South and the North. We have all lost people. We all know someone who has been taken hostage. It is an unprecedented, unprecedented event, what happened on October 7th. And I think it shakes you to your core, your belief in government and military and the way that the world works. And at the same time, 
there is this feeling of we need to just be together and come together and bear witness and share the story and make sure the world understands that this isn't what we know as Americans. This isn't the Israeli-Palestinian issue, that this is terror, terror that we knew on 9-11 in the United States. And that if we don't take an unequivocal stance against it, it will come for all of it, I, for all of us. I, I can tell you as an American, I'm watching what's happening right now in the United States on college campuses and in the streets. And as much as we're grieving here, it creates a feeling of instability for all of us everywhere. And I think that's that's the pervasive message is this isn't about Israel and this isn't only about Jews. This is about terror and terror knows no bounds. And so we must be unequivocal on our stance against Hamas. You do not have media experience, as you said, but you're really a very good spokesperson for this and in a very good position to have a voice uh, to the English-speaking media and really to the United States. Are you being informed of efforts by the U.S. government, both to bring visibility to the hostages' plight and, and any efforts to, to have them released? We are given as much information as they think is possible for us to know and doesn't hurt their efforts. So they are as present as they can be, but we can deduce what's happening behind the scenes. We don't know every move. We know that all the options are on the table. We know that everything is possible, but we also know that there's a lot of players here that are not necessarily necessarily simple relationships, right? This is Qatar and Turkey and Iran and Egypt. And while the United States is a great power and France, for example, has leverage here, there are dealings that are beyond our pay grade and we are doing as much as we can to make sure that the people in power know our stories, know what we would want, and hopefully be able to represent us. How can people listening help or otherwise be supportive? I think there are a couple ways. One, we launched a campaign today, and I'll share the information with you um, in partnership with the National Council for Jewish Women, which is a very simple form to send to your elected official. I think in the United States, when you have someone who represents you and they hear from their constituents, they need to act so the more people that fill this form out that goes to senators and representatives and even ambassadors to say the release of the hostages is imperative, it means that they need to act on our behalf. So it's not just coming from the families, but it's coming from everyone. This is a concrete action that people can take. And I think not letting the story get away from the public eye, this is a matter now of public opinion. And in a second, the news will turn to the war. And the war cannot be built on the backs of babies and children and elderly and Holocaust survivors. The hostages must come home before there's any movement in the war. In these very difficult moments, how do you maintain your drive and focus and not fall into despair? Very simple. I have the most amazing husband in the world. He shares my heart and my brain and he supports me and he is the best human. And I think in your best moments, you know who you're with. And in the worst moments, it becomes even more clear. I have the best friends in the world and I have the best family. And I think at the end of the day, people are our main currency. And I feel very lucky for that, for the people in my life. May you have the strength to continue, Abby. Yours is just one of hundreds of families deeply impacted by the hostage crisis and one of thousands of families mourning the incredibly tragic loss of their loved ones. Thank you for your work to give a voice to all of those families 
And thank you for being on From the Frontlines today to tell your story. Thank you for having me. That concludes today's special podcast, which for the foreseeable future will bring the stories from Israel to a broader audience. As part of my work to fight anti-Semitism and all forms of hate as ADL Regional Director in New York and New Jersey. Thank you to you, the listeners who tuned in to this From the Frontlines podcast. If you are moved by what you have heard, please share this podcast. These stories must be heard. And if you are not already a subscriber, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on Spotify to ensure that you do not miss a show. Just search for From the Frontlines. And please engage in these important conversations throughout the week by following me on Facebook and X. My X handle is at Scott A. Richmond. My Instagram and threads handle is at Scott underscore ADL. And our hashtag is fighting hate for good. <laughs>